so Grease 2 is one of my, you know that that's one of my guilty pleasures. I mean, it is a truly, truly awful, spectacularly awful movie that I am in love with. <laughs> I mean, me too, man. I mean, you can't. I, I'm. A, I fancy myself as a cool writer. So, I mean, well, first of all, Michelle Pfeiffer, give me a break. Out of this world. Oh good. my god! But like Maxwell Caulfield's incredible. But I just want to know who made the decision to not only make the T-Birds a bunch of pieces of shit, not just bad guys, <laughs> but like they're wimps. Like I don't get that. But yeah, also like you pointed out to me, they are pussies. <laughs> but like also having my boy be the head of the T-Birds. <laughs> I mean, I get it. Yep. That got him a job in TJ Hooker. Great. I'm glad to see it. Killing it in Bachelor Party. That's wonderful. Yep. Um, but, like, I just love... Very rarely do you see such a... I think a beloved at that point, like, supporting actor. I think people really did like yes. it. And then... Yeah, I think they did too. And then nothing. No. Like, gone. Completely gone. Just cruise ship singer extraordinaire i think i mean i tried i tried looking him up and it it really kind of shut off there in about 1991 there's some convention where he's signing autographs for five dollars a pop I just and there's women in their 60s that are just like fawning over well, it. and the funniest part is like he's not bad no he's not bad he's hilarious man he's hilarious it's so like he's the perfect like toady sidekick and it just it was happening like gangbusters and then it wasn't happening at all i think grease 2 killed several careers to be honest with you i see but like i think grease 2 killed one career i think grease 2 killed maxwell caulfield i don't think it killed anybody else well that other pink lady uh frenchie i don't remember (laughs) seeing her do anything after that (laughs) <laughs> I also don't remember seeing her do anything between Greece and Greece 2, but I hear you. Fair point. Fair point. But that was all that prep that she had to do for Greece 2. Well, that beauty, that beauty school takes some time. It definitely does. <laughs> well, hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Cigarette Burns. It's Cole and Jed, as usual. Uh, we got a very special episode today. We're kind of going to do something a little different. We want to chronicle the careers of two of our favorites and America's favorites. Absolutely. Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Yeah. So kind of... What films were they making? What films did they make together? How did their careers differ? And just the whole the whole thing there. Kind of go over a, a timeline of, of these two wonderful actors and their, and their careers. I, I'm really excited about this one. What about yeah, you? Yeah, me too. Well, we started talking about this like a while back when we were putting together, doing some romantic comedy episodes. And then uh, we started talking about kind of what, what would our future episodes like to be. And we kind of kept coming back to how much we liked Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail. And then yeah. I, I think it was you that brought up Jovi the Volcano. And I'm like, oh, my God. I just... I haven't seen that in years, but I loved it. And you just kind of yep. start thinking about how much you how much you interchangeably kind of use Tom and Meg, Meg and Tom. Like, they just kind of go together. They really do. You know, when you think about it, it's three movies. It's just a trilogy. Yep, that's it. This isn't something, mm-hmm. this isn't a Tracy Hepburn thing where they had like nine movies together. You know, it's not a Bogey and Bacall where they only had, you know, they had four movies together. But at the same time, those were both couples in real life. Like, that was never a thing for these two. I think everybody wanted them to be together, and it it never was a thing. But we look back on it with such fondness, and you can't help but smile when you think about a Tom and Meg movie. Uh, And to me, it's really two films, and it's really Sleepless in Seattle, and You've Got Mail. And we'll get into this in a minute here, but those two are just so good at what they are. They're like the pinnacle of that genre. And, I mean, I'll be honest with you, Sleepless in Seattle came out, I was like 10 or 11 at the time. I saw that thing three times in the theater. Really? And that's crazy. Yeah. To, to really, like, it just happened. Went with my mom once, went with my grandma, went with my dad. 
And every time it was just amazing. I just enjoyed it. Just these two together, the chemistry is so perfect. Well, and what's brilliant about that, and I think it's actually, if you're going to talk about the greatness of Tom and Meg in those sort of classic romantic comedies, it's really a three-headed monster. It's Tom, Meg, and Nora Ephron. Uh, exactly. You know, it, she she was the perfect writer for their talents, and they were obviously the perfect vehicles to, to deliver her concepts and her scripts and her vision exactly the way she wanted it to happen. And, you know, Sleepless in Seattle, we'll, we'll get into these movies a little bit more after we get you the reviews, but Sleepless in Seattle's genius is the fact that they don't put them together till the end and it doesn't matter. No. Yeah. It's also the genius of, of a lot of you got, You've Got Mail in right. terms of what you're going for. Right. And there's some things I want to talk about about You've Got Mail, which we'll get to and we'll get to their whole careers. But to your point real quick before we get to the reviews about the three of them together, I got to imagine on set, it's when you have like a perfect band where it's like the perfect group together where one guy's thinking it, the other two pick up on it. Right. And it's, you don't even need to say the words. Yeah. So they're all in sync. And that's got to be what it is. No, I totally agree. It's it's a pleasure to watch and it's sad that it hasn't happened again since 98. I think it will. I do too. I, I can't wait for it. I'm excited for it too because I think that we're getting a few more fluffier romantic comedies or just comedies in general. And I think that uh, they're really going to be a part of something special here in the next five or ten years. I think they'll, they'll really pump at least one more out that kind of uh, brings back that old nostalgia. But speaking of good things, have you seen anything recently? I have. I watched a couple of things. Uh, one I thought was good. One I thought was a collection of a bunch of shit. So uh, <laughs> the first thing I saw was I'm a diehard Disney kid. Aladdin was my favorite cartoon growing up. I had the biggest crush on Jasmine. I think she might have been my first crush. Yeah, really? Uh, full stop. It was I, I mean, probably obsessed was the correct word. I don't want to put it that way because I know she's a cartoon, but that's what it was. Yeah. And I had to go see the live action one and I was getting scared to death because I was seeing the trailers and I understand when they're making trailers and especially the first cut trailer, a lot of that, you know, either the CGI when they put the uh, trailer together isn't complete yet or it might be scenes that aren't in the film, but a lot of the buzz was terrible. The, the trailers didn't look great. I wasn't as concerned about the look of the genie, but I just wasn't getting the the flow of what they were going with. And it turns out I was worried for no reason, in my opinion. I, I It was a lot better than what the expectations were. I give it a six and a quarter out of 10, which I think is what a lot of these Disney movies are going to end up being, which means it's very watchable. You'll enjoy it. But, you know, they're not going to reinvent the wheel because the wheel was already made so well when they made the original animated versions. Yeah. So, But people are expecting a ton. I mean, I don't know, like the reaction to the Lion King trailers, people are expecting... A fucking Oscar-winning masterpiece, I get the impression. Uh, and I think I agree with you. And I think that one probably has the weight of expectations more than any of the other ones. I think yeah. with Beauty and the Beast, people didn't quite know what to expect, and it looked great. I wasn't a huge fan of it because it was a shot-by-shot -shot remake. What I really yeah. liked about Aladdin was that it wasn't. You know, Guy Ritchie, not really his type of movie. Um, I know he's done interviews where he's like, well, I do street hustler movies, and Aladdin's the ultimate street hustler, so that's why it was in my wheelhouse. And, you know, that's a really nice line and everything, but there are certain aspects of this movie that certainly were not in Guy Ritchie's wheelhouse. Um, I think he struggled in the first 10 minutes to establish the characters. Uh, he really struggled with a couple of transitions, really clunky transitions into songs. But Pashik and Paul wrote some really good new original tunes. Um, there's just Naomi Scott as Jasmine, Mina Masood as Aladdin. Really great chemistry. They work fantastically together. And Will Smith was good as the genie. And really, for those of you out there that are questioning what his genie was going to be like, it's just Hitch. He just does Hitch. And that's a good thing to do. Absolutely. And, and it worked out really, really well. And 
you know, like I said, it's not a, it's not an eight or a nine out of 10. It's, it's, I laughed. It's a little more serious than the, the cartoon was. Some of the comic timing was stripped out of it. Obviously not being a cartoon, it can't get quite as big. Um, it was a little darker with Jafar even, cause in the cartoon, Jafar's dark with some humor. This is mm-hmm. really just dark ass Jafar, but you know, it, it all worked. And at the end of the day, they didn't have Agrabah look like it looked in the cartoon. They, they made substantive changes that didn't strip out what the core of the movie was while making it something that was new. And like I said, it was not a frame for frame uh, reimagining as Beauty and the Beast was. So six and a quarter out of 10, go see it. You're not going to be disappointed. It's not going to blow you out of your seat, but it's definitely worth watching. Did they all have those Cockney accents? <laughs> they did not. It was, it was really weird. I was hoping they would go for that because I'm sure... That would have been interesting. I'm sure that Will Smith is great at accents, but uh, <laughs> it, it really just... Everybody stayed in their nice, comfortable pocket and it played out for a really, really nice watch. And I really think Naomi Scott is probably set for a lot of really big things because she was, I think, the standout of the entire cast. Cool, well... Well, yeah, I can't wait to not watch it. So, great. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely, guys, if you haven't known this already, I'm the resident uh, Disney slash animated movie person. Yep, that's for sure. So what else? What was not so good? <laughs> I, I've been working quite a bit, and so I threw on in the background this movie from 2013 called uh, CBGB. And this movie is all about the creation of CBGBs in New York and sort of the foundation of the punk rock scene and how that, you know, grew into what it eventually became. And, uh, you know, it was Randall Miller directed. He's the guy who did Bottle Shock and Nobel Sun. So he's done these smaller movies with good cast that were pretty well received. Bottle Shock's great, man. I love that film. Yeah, I like Bottle Shock a lot. And this movie has Alan Rickman, Malin Ackerman, Justin Bartha, pod favorite Justin Bartha. <laughs> um, never been worse, by the way, than he was in this movie. And that's also for our listener out there when we uh, kind of mentioned Justin Bartha's struggles in National Treasure, sent me a link to uh, his performance in Gili. And I'm here to tell you, this is worse. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's really bad. Uh, Johnny Galecki is in it. Uh, Ashley Green is in it. Uh, Rupert Grint. Taylor Hawkins from Foo Fighters plays Iggy Pop. Um, <laughs> Freddie Rodriguez is in it as the local sort of homeless, drunk uh, heroin addict. And I can tell you, top to bottom, every one of these actors, this is their worst performance they've ever given. Wow. It's, I mean, it's it's a collection of everybody's worst work. I give it a one and a half out of ten. Ooh. And that's for... That's for Rickman only, and that's for Rickman's presence, because he also, rest in peace, really bad in this movie. I think that might be the lowest rating we've ever given anything, so it's that's the new so, bar. It's so fucking bad, man. It, it, and Rickman, like, he is in one of my favorite movies, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And this is actually, somebody mentioned on our Twitter feed something about Alan Rickman's hair. <laughs> and it got me wanting to watch a Rickman movie in the background, and that's how I stumbled across this movie. Gotcha. And, you know, Kevin Costner gets a lot of shit from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves for kind of flowing in and out of the accent. Rickman, not great in this one as an American. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Uh, it's just not very good. And on top of the performances being particularly poor, Donald Logue's in it, also terrible. And I love Donald Logue. Yeah, for all those Donald Logue fans out there or fan, watch Tennis Anyone. That's a great film that Cole and I <laughs> That is a great film. That is really good. Um, but it's just, the, the filmmaking of it's really terrible. It's, everybody is playing a caricature of what they think a punk artist is supposed to be. And that's like, Justin Bartha plays the lead singer of the Dead Boys, and he's just fucking awful. Like, yeah. it's just a, it's just 
ter- it's almost unwatchable and and it just goes from music uh, scene to music scene to music scene and literally everybody's just playing a cartoon version of whatever it is that you know they were they were there to do and it's just it's really fucking bad at the end of the day so it's and it's really not even so bad it's fun to watch like even because I I'm interested in that scene because obviously I was never a part of it and I'm always curious but this isn't the movie for that like this is way worse than SLC Punk okay wow good to know I'm I'm happy we have a a new low one in the uh, <laughs> yeah. in the reviews. I'm glad I, I'm glad I could deliver because we've also got some complaints that uh, we're a little soft on the reviews. So there you go, guys. <laughs> Throwing some heat. <laughs> so uh, what you've been seeing? So I uh, I saw John Wick three out at the theater and uh, awesome. Cannot wait to see that. I enjoyed both the first John Wick and John Wick two, and this one I give a six point three out of ten. Definitely the weakest of the franchise. And, you know, the problem I had was the first John Wick, emotionally you're carried through all the violent scenes and all the action scenes, which are spectacular, by the motivation that you know John Wick has based on what's happened in the beginning of the film. And in John Wick 2, you have the clear enemy of, of why all this stuff is happening and what he's trying to accomplish. My problem with John Wick 3 was at the end of John Wick 2, spoiler alert for those that haven't seen it, he does something that's against the rules and now he's excommunicated. So John Wick 3 is all about what happens as a result of excommunication. We explore the world more. It's a lot of world world building. But the problem is, it's like the enemy is the fact that, I mean, he's the one that's in the wrong here. He broke the rules. Yes, he did. So rooting for him throughout this whole film is kind of tough, even, as, even though Keanu's great and everyone loves Keanu and he's so charismatic. I just found it, honestly, the action scenes were what the whole film was, but there was so little plot and dialogue in between them that that glue there really started to uh, dissolve halfway through each action scene where you're like, I honestly got bored. And I'm someone who grew up on Van Damme films. I've seen them all. I love them all. And I really felt like I'm kind of getting bored with this, guys. I just really, I need something more here. So I don't know what they're going to do in terms of fixing that in John Wick 4, the inevitable film that's going to come out, especially this one I think is the first $100 million movie that Keanu Reeves has, has had in 15 years. Well, and it already but got greenlit, have, so it's, it's yeah, coming. Yeah, and, and it already got greenlit. So <laughs> they got they got their work cut out for them. I just hope they kind of focus on the story a little more. And I know that's crazy because you're probably thinking out there, well, Jed, you don't fucking know what these movies are for, but... <laughs> You need some kind of story. Well, you no, need something the, to carry it through. The first two had that through story. That's what made them yeah. sort of unique, or at least a breath of fresh air, was the fact that there was a reason for what he was doing. And I haven't seen the third one yet, so I'm taking your word for it. But you know, absent a story, we're talking like straight to video Steven Seagal type stuff. Those are just action yeah. movies. But um, I'm looking forward to seeing it. It sounds like it's still worth seeing, though. Oh, definitely worth checking out. The action scenes are great. Uh, the violence is ramped up, and it's crazy. Uh, John Wick is, you know, the unkillable hero. And the other thing, that my other negative, uh, main negative for the film is that I thought Halle Berry's character was kind of wasted. Um, really? She pops in, then she pops right out. I wanted more of her character. I thought she was a good dynamic to have with uh, with John Wick. It makes sense to service the story, and I think they're setting things up for future films. At least they better, because if they're smart, they bring her back. Because her character was really well done. Just you didn't get enough of her. So, yeah. Like I said, 6.3 out of 10. You won't be disappointed with it. I think you'll have a, a good time overall. Just don't have too many expectations for for story, even for a John Wick John well, film. Well, before we move on from that, are you pumped about the new TV series, The Continental? I am. I think there's a lot of things they can explore there. I, I do, too. Really, really interesting. 
I think that world that they built within the Continental is something that could be spectacular if it's done right. So I'm I'm pretty pumped. Endless storylines. Yeah, Endless, absolutely. Each, each guest has his own crazy backstory. Whatever you want, it's it's amazing. Yeah. And the other thing, uh, gonna review something different. I think it's the first time we're gonna review something non TV or non non movie, but it's definitely related to that. I uh, Rachel and I went to see this thing called For the Record. And it's the Brat Pack. It's in Break Room 86. If anyone's in the Los Angeles area, it's in uh, Koreatown. It's at this bar. And it's at ForTheRecordLive.com. You can get tickets. I believe it's playing through the end of June. It's a mashup of all of these great John Hughes films. So if you liked our teen movies podcast, it's basically like that only way better and in person <laughs> way, be- and wait a minute, way better than our podcast i know it's tough to imagine cole but i mean it really is good talk about <laughs> shitting where you eat man come on i'm just saying look that hurts. they know how good our podcast is and this is better so i mean okay. wow but no right. it's, it's great it's it's all these scenes it has classic characters from the john hughes films but they kind of weave in and out of scenes from 16 candles the breakfast club some kind of wonderful and they have two things nods to cameron crow films say anything and fast times uh you got weird science in there it's it's great it's phenomenal it's an immersive experience um with the crowd it's it's so well done. I really can't stress enough how how much fun you will have, and you forget how great, as Cole and I discussed on the Teen Movies episode, how great these fucking songs are. Yeah. And so you get taken back the second you start hearing this, and the performances are amazing. Anyone in the area, like seriously, whatever you're doing, try to make some plans. Go watch this thing. This is not an ad for them. We are not getting paid to endorse anything, although we would if they wanted to. Of but course. <laughs> this is just something that's really good. So once again, it's ForTheRecordLive.com. Uh, really, I suggest you guys check it out because it's it's amazing. Well, I'll be honest. I got worried there when you said, I think I'm going to do something that's not TV, not film. I'm like, Jed, I don't think they really care about your home movies. I don't think that that's <laughs> something that we need to review here. But I did. I did. I did. I actually tell you about why like I went to go see Aladdin. By the way, no. Other than you love the animated film, obviously. But like Jess was stuck working, and I I felt terrible. And I told her I was like, I'm really sorry, but I have to go see this. And she goes, Um, Cole, you're going to go see a 2:25 in the afternoon Aladdin by yourself. <laughs> like yeah no it's fine it's all good you know so I've, I've got my sweatpants on and my t-shirt and uh-huh. like my, my hat like like i'm trying to win gold at the fucking creep olympics and i get <laughs> you know i get my like large diet coke and my sour patch kids and i walk in and it's just like packed with kids and i'm like oh yep. god yep. damn it <laughs> so i picked like one of the side rows where nobody was sitting I oh sit. good even yeah. better <laughs> sit all the way against the wall and in the minute that the lights go down i'm like i don't did i make the bad choice like there's no good choice there was no, no good, good choice, choice. Man. like i can't go sit next to a couple 12 year olds like nah it's cool guys don't worry about it but also <laughs> i thought sitting off in the corner was was even weirder like i didn't know With how to solve pants. yeah, yeah I, I didn't perfect. know how i didn't know how to solve the problem man i really didn't and it was yeah the problem how you solve it is you say can i get a refund and can i go in and get some time? <laughs> I just no. i was and I come home, and when Jess came home from work, she's like, "How was Aladdin?" I was like, "Nah, it was it was good. I liked it a lot." She's like, "How'd it go?" 
I'm like, the, <laughs> mi- the minute the movie was over, I jumped out of my seat and I walked out of the theater. I was like, I don't want, I want anybody to see me. I just didn't want any of the kids to feel bad. Because there's like this big dance number or whatever that, that goes on as the credits are rolling. I'm like, nah, I'll catch that on YouTube. Like, I don't even care. <laughs> Get me the hell out of here. I was thinking, I was waiting for you to say you brought a carpet with you because you're so into cosplay when you go to the film. <laughs> <that you> gotta... <laughs> no, no, just Kingsman only, man. Kingsman, Kingsman only. only. For the listeners out there, Cole went to see Kingsman, I believe the sequel, uh, at a similar time during the day. He was wearing a suit, and when the guy <laughs> took his ticket, the guy was like, oh, Kingsman, you're going to cosplay this. And yep. it's like <laughs> yeah. fucking Friday at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, because that's when all the cosplayers come out, and yep. especially for Kingsman. <laughs> yep, me, me and three other people were in that theater. Uh, I was the only one who was apparently that into it, but that's yeah. all right. Uh, you know, hey, it happens. It's a good movie. Oh, I can't. Man. I can't wait for the third one. We're good. <laughs> oh, I think I need to give my rating for. Uh, oh yeah, for sorry. The, record, the Brad Pack. I'm just gonna let everyone know it's a. Well, actually, I'll let Billy Bob say what it is. Oh Jesus. <laughs> I give it a uh, a ten, a ten, a fucking ten. That's right. Ten really? out of ten, Billy it Bob. Was a, it was a Billy Bob. It was. It was a Billy Bob. All it right, really man. was. I just want let the record show. Jed thinks there's a piece of theater out there that was a Billy Bob. Yep, that's uh, for sure. We also have, in honor of Memorial Day, we had a request from one of our valued listeners, and she wanted us to watch and review Taking Chance, which was the uh, 2009, I believe it was, HBO movie starring mm-hmm. Kevin Bacon. And, yeah. I, you know, we both watched it, and I had seen it before, but I wanted to watch it again. And it, it's just a fantastic movie. You know, it, it's a movie where it's a showcase for Kevin Bacon. He won a Golden Globe for it. And he plays a Marine who is tasked with bringing home the remains of a fallen soldier. And uh, the fallen soldier is 19 years old, and he has to take him back to his hometown of Du Bois, Wyoming, a very small town. And you would think with a movie that's set in the realm of the armed services without any action would be kind of a tough, um, a tough slog, sort of, where's my intensity coming from? And... I don't know about you. I thought this was one of the more emotionally deep um, armed services films I've ever seen. Oh, it was emotionally uh, heart-wrenching because the script was so good. Yeah. Uh, the way they filmed it was excellent. Kevin Bacon, his performance, everyone's performance was spot on. I loved how grounded in reality it was. It looked like he. this is something that's very common, I think, that, that happens, that what he's doing, that a lot, a lot of, not a lot of people know about and have ever experienced, obviously. And you kind of get that other side of the coin of a lot of films about the military. You get that glory of battle or what what have you. This is the aftermath. This is having to take this body back home to where it needs to be buried. And it's from the beginning, the tension throughout just carries this film. And Kevin Bacon's performance is so subtle and so perfect. It's just one of these films where I really didn't want to watch it again because it was so emotional and it was so... yeah. Kind of tough to get through the first time, but so well done. And you kind of think about these things on Memorial Day and not to get too dark or anything, but uh, being able to make movies like this is a lot of the reason that, you know, they get these people take the sacrifice, right? And, and Absolutely. Well, and, and these movies kind of amazing stuff. These movies to me too hit me a lot harder and are a lot more thought provoking than something like a lone survivor, you know, in, in that yeah. vein. You know, I, f- I find a lot more care seems to be taken, but also, you know, these are the stories that, that people don't hear about. Mm-hmm. And it's not just 
you know, we may hear about the fallen soldier, but the the care that's taken uh, in, in this particular story to get his body back to his hometown and, and the people who were giving Kevin Bacon's character, you know, little notes and, and words to that, that they wanted to pass on to the family, little gifts and things like that. It's really a touching and wonderful film. And for this Memorial Day, it's it's something to definitely sit down with the family and watch. You won't regret it. It's fantastic. I give it an eight and a half out of 10. I, I think it's just something that, you know, I, I've seen it twice and I, I, you know, like you said, it's not something I want to sit down and watch all the time because it, it really is that emotional, but it's it's really, truly something special. Yeah, you know, if you hear stats like a thousand soldiers died on this or that, it's very, very upsetting, but isolating one story and taking it through connects with you on such a more personal level, uh, I think, and that's what this film did so beautifully, and I give it a 9 out of 10. It's, it's, it's wonderful, but, you know, watch it. Uh, you got to be in a certain mood to watch this kind of film. Absolutely. So, uh, thank you listener for uh asking us to review and for everybody else out there too always give us movies to review we love watching them we'll review them on here for you so uh hey man let's get to tom and meg let's roll it hey goose you big stud that's me honey take me to bed or lose me forever show me the way home honey it's uh, time for spice yes it's spice time and the lucky spice is <gasps> paprika what was that supposed to mean? Nothing. It's just that all men are sure it never happened to them, and most women at one time or another have done it, so you do the math. You don't think that I can tell a difference? No. Get out of here. Mm. Oh. Ooh. Are you okay? Oh. George Washington. Oh, GW. My brother-in-law got his doctorate there. Did you pledge? Yes. Every morning. Nobody knows anything. We'll take this leap and we'll see. We'll jump and we'll see. That's life. I saw the moon when we were out there on the ocean, shining down on everything. I've been miserable so long, years of my life wasted. road did I ever tell you the first time I saw you felt like I'd seen you before you're not going anywhere without me oh, it's just some low-grade assets not heavy oh Jim oh god you know I oh. cooked I cooked the stuff oh, baby, and it's people okay. are coming you know 
Ray and Dorothy think that we're flaky enough, and you, know, you said that we would wait until after, and now you're gonna peek before me. No, no, it's cool. We'll trip, and then we'll eat our feast. Now, don't tell me that a famous and brilliant scientist such as yourself doesn't know about Zeno's paradox. Remind me. You can't get from there to here because you always have to cover half the remaining distance, like from me to you. I have to cover half of it. But see, I still have half of that remaining, so I cover half that. And um, there's still half of that left, so I cover half of that. And uh, half of that. And half of that. And half of that. And since there are infinite halves left, I can't ever get there. Mr. Dugan. Mr. Dugan! Mr. Dugan! What is it, baby? Mm, 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 mm. Oh, God, what the hell is going on? Why was stopped? Lou quit. Driver? A car could have came by now. Hey, come on, you girls! We got Get out! Get out of the bus! What did he say? Is that English? <sighs> by the way, I loved you in The Wizard of Oz. I wanted it to be you. I wanted it to be you so badly. Ah, oh, these guys are just so great. I they're know. Just so, they're so excellent. I mean, I want to start off real quick just talking about Tom Hanks for me. Um, I feel like I've grown up on his films because he's always been a presence there in his movies. I mean, he started acting back in 1980, and so... As long as I've been alive and watching things, he's always had something coming out or he's been a part of something. And early on, I realized, like, whatever I don't think this man can do in terms of acting, I'm wrong. Because he can right. do it all. He can well, do it all. He's, and he's amazing in all of it. And that's what's crazy to me is all these different genres that he can do things that you're like, oh, he's that guy from this, so we're going to typecast him like that. You can't do that to this guy. You can't put him in a box. He, he can do it all. And for Meg Ryan, honestly, she is a victim of being so good at what she's doing, and it's kind yep. of the opposite of, of Tom Hanks, where she's so good that people can't picture her in other things, and when she is in them, it's not always, it doesn't always work. I don't think it's always her fault. I think some of the roles she's picked to branch off have been the problem. It's not necessarily her performance, but she's also not as good of an actor, in my opinion, as Tom Hanks. I mean, I'm just going to say that, but she's brilliant in in her pocket, and uh, I've grown up with her too, man, in terms of watching watching her films. Um, and it does show you that your career trajectory can be so shaped by who you work with and who you surround yourself with, because Meg Ryan, as great of a career as she's had, and we'll get into some of these roles here, had she attached herself to some other creative forces, I think she would have had a career similar to a Tom Hanks because you can see through his filmography, 
he finds people that he works well with and he works with them. Yeah. Well, and, and I think too, we, we can't have this discussion honestly. And I think as we work through the timeline, we'll end up getting through it, but you cannot have, you know, a truly intellectually honest conversation without seeing how many female actors run into at 35, mm-hmm. the same story. Yep. You know, you can talk about aligning yourself with creative forces. You can talk about trying to pick better roles or better scripts or anything like that. But when it continually happens over and over and over again, particularly in that era, um, not that it's not happening now, because it certainly is, but, you know, a lot more leeway is given to male actors as opposed to female actors. And that's something that if if you're not going to address, and I don't mean you personally, but if that's something that people aren't going to address when they're having the conversation, they're they're waxing over one of the most important pieces of the of the equation. Oh, yeah. I don't even know what roles she was or wasn't offered or, right. you know, what she wanted to do, but they maybe said, oh, you're, you're too old for that. And it's like, I'm younger than the character you want me to play. And it's like, you know, who knows? Because yeah. as... You know, we don't need to make turn this into a Me Too movement discussion, but with everything that's come out that everyone knew about, obviously, but hadn't really seen all these people behind the scenes kind of come forward and say all these things, all this shit happens. And I completely agree with you that had Meg Ryan been a man, her career would have been totally different just because she's a man. And that's completely fucking wrong. Like, there's, right. there's no well, reason and, for that. And you'll see, I, I think, in a lot of, you know, actors' filmographies, the same quote-unquote box office or critical hiccups that uh, an actress might have, but the actress ends up having to pay the bill for that for a lot longer than uh, the actor might have to. But to, to get back to, you know, sort of where these two originally came into my life is, I, I remember seeing Tom Hanks, I remember seeing Splash, I remember seeing Bosom Buddies, I remember seeing Bachelor Party, but the first time I remember honestly watching something and going, that is Tom Hanks and that is great, was A League of Their Own. I was nine when that came out, and at my ninth birthday party, I wanted to go to the movie theater and watch a movie, and I love baseball, so we went to go see A League of Their Own, Mm -hmm. and I remember being in awe of that performance, and uh, so when I look back on when did I see Bosom Buddies or when did I see Splash or Bachelor Party of any of those, I'm sure that I actually saw them after 92. I feel like I saw them after that point. Um, as far as Meg Ryan is concerned, I always thought she was the really cute wife in Top Gun. Exactly. (laughs) That's the first, that's the first time I remember really recognizing her because it wasn't honestly until later that I saw When Harry Met Sally. I probably saw When Harry Met Sally after I had seen Sleepless in Seattle, you know. Which given the age range makes sense, you know, because you're not going to see that film when you're like six or seven. Right, right. They, they both kind of have a very similar trajectory you know, starting in TV, starting in guest spots and doing those sorts of things and then having a few smaller roles. But, you know, really, I, I, the snowball started going for them, I think, pretty quickly. It definitely did. Like, uh, I always think it's funny, a nice little bit of trivia, as, as it were, that Tom Hanks played a bad guy in his first ever role in, in the film He Knows You're Alone in 1980, which is totally against against type for him, given what right. followed afterwards. Like, I remember hearing about Bosom Buddies from uh, my parents and then Splash was the first film that I saw where, you know, my dad was like, so that's Tom Hanks. And, you know, he's, he's a great actor because I saw that, I think, even after Big had come out, um, because I think I was around five or six when Big came out. I wasn't quite old enough yet to, to really watch it, but my dad loved Splash, and so we watched that several times. And what always stuck out to me about 
Splash was how funny he is in it with someone like a John Candy who's absolutely phenomenally funny and on another level, but Tom Hanks holds his own. Tom Hanks is, is a very now underrated comedic actor. Yes. Because after Philadelphia, after Forrest Gump, it became prestige project after prestige project after prestige project. And you can't really have a prestige comedic project, which is a whole bag of horseshit that that's not a thing. But it's it's sort of that's the avenue that he got he or he decided to go down. Um, and then when he tries to do some dark comedy like The Lady Killers, it, that movie really fell flat. And yeah, I, I think it's I think it's too because people I had forgotten to a certain extent that he was a comedic actor and is an extremely funny comedic actor. And I honestly think that's the kind of acting he enjoys doing the most. Seeing of him in interviews, seeing him in those films. Uh, when he made Larry Crown, which wasn't a very good movie in my opinion, that was I think him taking control of it because I believe he directed it and was like, okay. Uh, this is how I get to make that kind of movie right now because this is right. what I want to do. And I think these movies with Meg Ryan are just completely his his way of getting back into that and being able to do that. So for me, Meg Ryan, uh, right there with you on Top Gun. Like when I saw yeah. Top Gun the first time, that's that's where I saw her. And then honestly, uh, When Harry Met Sally is is the next one. She was in a few things in between there. I never saw Inner Space. I think if I did, I was Inter- a little kid. I don't remember it, but Inner Space is is a classic mid eighties romp uh, combined with science. Um, like yeah, pseudo- I've got to watch sort of it. Stuff. It's 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 a really, I, in my opinion, a really funny movie. Um, it's it's Heyday Dennis Quaid. So they met on that film. Yeah, they did. Yep. Yep. And you know, one thing I'll say about seeing Meg Ryan is, you know, in my opinion, being a great actor or actress. And being a movie star are two totally different things. I think we're in the middle right now of like Keanu Reeves. You know, he's he's having this sort of Keanu sense going on yeah. with John Wick three and John you know, the whole John Wick franchise. Really, in my opinion, I, I love Keanu Reeves. I love a lot of movies he's been in. He is a bona fide movie star. I think full stop. But I don't think he's really that great of an actor. No, he's not. But he is absolutely a movie star. And I love him. I, I mean, I, I celebrate the man's entire fucking catalog. He's fantastic. <laughs> but I remember thinking that, like, when you see Meg Ryan in Top Gun, even though she's in it very little, you're like, that's a movie star. I don't know what it is, but that's a movie star. When her face is on the screen, it's a brighter screen than it is when it isn't. And oh, yeah. She commands the screen every time she's on there. And it doesn't matter who she's with. And that wattage that she has is not just beauty and brains because she does portray all of those things. There's just the movie star quality. It's the Tom Cruise quality. It's, you know, that thing. In my opinion, Tom Hanks doesn't really have as much of that movie star quality that Meg Ryan has. I, I think they work incredibly well together. And I think Tom Hanks, after amassing enough good credits, became a movie star. But as far as that pure wattage that jumps off the screen... I don't think he has it as much as Meg Ryan. I I see what you're saying there. To me, Tom Hanks is, he's so, per- and I know this is funny to say about him being so perfect in an ensemble or being fitting in as the perfect piece in, in these films, given the, how perfect he was in Castaway, where three quarters of the movie, he's just alone on, on the screen, which is something we'll get to later on that's an amazing feat in and of itself and so much yeah. more difficult than I think people give, uh, give it credit for. But... He can fit into whatever. He can fit into a splash with John Candy. He can fit into the money pit with a ton of, uh, you know, character actors that are amazing. Shelley Long is perfect in that. Big, 
he can act opposite children. He can act opposite Elizabeth Perkins. I mean, if he can hold his own with Robert Loggia. I was going to say, you better not be skipping the fucking Loggia. Of course not. <laughs> um, no, he, so he can he can fit into all these different things so well. I, I think for Meg Ryan, I agree with you on the movie star, but I think Meg Ryan needs a certain type of cast to perfectly fit in because uh, in the movie In the Land of Women, which we'll get to later on probably, she didn't fit into that film and she wasn't able in my opinion to really make it work with who she was with she needs a certain type of person tom hanks is more of a chameleon kind of thing but i think you find that with a lot of movie stars where they have to be kind of the center and and the the story built around them tom hanks in my opinion doesn't have to have that right i and and i think that i think we're sort of making the same point by saying different things which is yeah you know there there's a certain thing even with a tom cruise who probably in my lifetime is the biggest movie star that i've experienced in an ensemble movie i i've never really seen him excel and you can you can talk about magnolia all you want but he's not in an ensemble in magnolia his scenes are singular yeah, he's with three or four people total. Yeah, that, that that's not about an ensemble film. So when we're talking about movie stars, I think a lot of movie stars have to have that spotlight kind of on them. That's where they shine. And that's why, you know, Keanu in his great films, it's been him and maybe one other person. You know, you don't have yeah. that ensemble feel. But like I said, Meg Ryan to me is undeniably a movie star. And I read a really interesting interview with her. And she never, according to her, never really wanted to be like an actress growing up. It wasn't, that wasn't the goal. That wasn't yeah. the thing. And so she sort of didn't quite understand the importance of what she was doing or or really, I guess, the power, I think was probably how she put it better. She's like, I didn't really understand the power that I had, the shit that I had earned in order to ex- you know get the things done that I thought I wanted to get done but you know it's it's something where it also wasn't my passion like the acting craft wasn't my passion and so I think that that's something interesting because again that just shows this idea of a natural born sort of glow that she's able to jump off the screen without boiling it down to the method or whatever it is and I think that's why you see I think Tom Hanks did it with being able to be in a bunch of different types of movies. I think Meg Ryan did it with sheer talent um, for being in a movie. And that's why they both, once they got seen, it really started to roll downhill pretty quickly for him. Yeah, charisma can do a lot for an yeah, actor. It really, absolutely. It really does. And so the first film they were in together is Joe versus the Volcano in 1990. And I just want to go over a couple quick films. So basically the main ones, in my opinion, that they were coming off of for Tom Hanks, uh, started in 1984 with Splash. He was in Bachelor Party in 1984. The Money Pit. Uh, I don't know if that was a huge success, but I love that film and I've seen it plenty. That's a classic. A cult hit. Yeah, cult classic. Uh, 1986. And Big is a timeless classic that everyone needs to watch in, in 1988. I liked Punchline a lot. Um, really, Sally Field, John Goodman were in that film with him. Different. It's a different kind of film. Um Scorsese did The King of Comedy. This is kind of, I think of, it's a completely different film, but in the vein of stand-up comedy, this is a, a lighter look at, at some things there, whereas obviously Scorsese is going to be a little darker. The Burbs, which is a fucking out there movie, man. That is well, he, one crazy story. 
he did like I mean Joe versus the volcano is an out there move like oh, that's yeah, we're gonna out there that. story yeah, yeah. but th- this run that he has starting with volunteers which I think is uh you know and I, I hate to go back but uh volunteers is a great movie yeah him Rita Wilson uh John Candy and, and he and John Candy work so well together like it is stupid what their chemistry is it, it it's, insane. it's fantastic and you know volunteers money pit big back to back to back I mean that is three yeah. historically good comedies. Yeah. Um, and just you know, I do. I, I haven't really got to talk to you that much lately because of work. But I was in Temecula the other day, and I saw a Zoltar machine. Oh, really? Yes. And so I wanted to get my fortune told. Uh huh. And I gave it a dollar. And when it gave me my fortune, the fucking ticket said, "Your wish will come true." I don't know what that means. It didn't ask me to make a wish before. <laughs> I I got the ticket. <laughs> And so, oh man, that's funny. Uh, Zol- Zoltar let my shit down uh, last Friday, but yeah, th- this is just a great run. The Burbs is a is not just an out there movie. It's the the themes in it are so heavy. Oh God, you know the the hysteria, that whole sort of vibe that the the movie has. It's very very bizarre to play off as this dark comedy it's really it good. really is because you know the total shifts in that film you're like is this a goofy movie and then it's like is this real like this right. is it's so it's so weird but after that um before joe versus the volcano he made turner and hooch and i just have to take a second here to tell you my turner and hooch story so this movie came out um i was like seven years old at the time probably or six years old and I didn't get to see it in the theater, but my mom was like, hey, Turner and Hooch is out. We can go to the video store to rent it. I know I'm dating myself now with going to the video store to rent a film, not having streaming or anything like that. Well, the last thing we want to do is date yourself here. <laughs> but so we would walk there each night and every night it was like this went on for two weeks. It was, is Turner and Hooch in stock? No, nah, it's, it's all checked out. It's all, it's all checked out. I'm like, man, I cannot wait to see this fucking movie. It's I can't so get my hands popular. on Turner and Hooch. Couldn't get my hands on it. Keep in mind, I'm six <laughs> years old. We finally get it. Get home. I watch it. And I even remember at six years old thinking, I wasted two fucking weeks every night <laughs> with that movie? For fucking that? Where a dog is what's going to be the key to help him fucking solve a murder? It's a buddy cop movie where he's teamed up with a dog. And yeah, even at six, awesome. I was like, come on, guys. That's like, awesome. This... <laughs> I was like, it's not it's not Turner or Hooch's fault that you couldn't get how fucking great that is. It's probably true. And again, I really haven't seen it since because I was so I was so salty after that, you know, as a jaded six year old. So salty. I just imagine, I just imagine little Jed walking around a batting cages all pissed oh. off because Turner and Hooch didn't come through. Is it? It's just like so pissed constantly. <laughs> but what about Meg Ryan, man? What was she doing leading up to Joe versus the volcano? Well, she had that good start with Top Gun, went into inner space, which was really good. I happen to think Promised Land is a really good movie. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the shit out of that. Uh, she did a movie with Sean Connery called The Presidio. I haven't seen that since like high school. Yeah, um, I don't think I've ever, I do, ever seen that. I don't actually. remember being super impressed with that. But then she just explodes with yep. When Harry Met Sally. This is this is her pretty woman, you know? This is just... Yep. It, once this movie came out, it changed the whole fucking landscape of her career. And really, the modern, moving forward romantic comedy. 100% agree with you. I you know, know, she's in that. Nora Ephron writes it. That's where she, you know, gets in with Nora. They, yep. become, they become lifelong friends. Yep. Uh, you know, 
Carrie Fisher, Bruno Kirby, Billy Crystal, just a, a lights out cast. And I think actually Tom Hanks was up for Harry he and passed down on the role. It. He thought it was too lightweight. Yeah. And honestly, nobody could have done that better than Billy Crystal. There's nobody who could do that role better than Billy Crystal. And the thing is, is I, I agree with you just because it's such an iconic role for Billy Crystal. I would love to see what Tom Hanks would do with that role. There's pretty much every role I want to see what Tom Hanks' interpretation is. Well, and he's, he's one of those guys who couldn't, I don't think, absent, you know, movies like Over the Top, ruin the lead role. Like, right. there's nothing he could do. Although, actually, Tom Hanks But you Over don't want to see Tom Hanks as a truck driver who arm wrestles? I kind of do. Yeah, I, you kind of do, actually, don't you? I actually That's what think I was he's... thinking. It's like, even when I was thinking of action films, <laughs> I, I was know, like, right? Commando with Tom Hanks. <laughs> I think it could work. Roadhouse. <laughs> I would watch Roadhouse with Tom Hanks. Yeah, I would watch Roadhouse with Tom Hanks. Can you imagine a Tom Hanks, Sam Elliott team-up film? Oh, I was thinking about Tom Hanks as Ben Gazzara's character, but that's all right. We, oh, you know, I got fine. you. Okay, okay. Uh, Shaves his head, driving the car all over the place. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. But So she was doing that, and then uh, right on the heels of Hall of Fame romantic comedy, she is in Joe versus the volcano and Joe versus the volcano. I think on first watch, I kind of wrote it off. It was just really weird. Like this guy who has been diagnosed with a very limited time to live. So he gets sent off to this Island to go jump in the volcano to allow the villagers to get like a mineral or something like it just, it wasn't something that was connecting to me as a, as a youth. So here's the thing. I saw the film pretty much right after it came out. So we're talking like eight years old, you know, seven, eight years old. And I even remember to this day, because I haven't seen the film since, Meg Ryan plays three characters in the movie. And in my little seven-year-old brain, uh, it just didn't make sense. I didn't know what was going on. And I was like, this movie's out there. I remember one of those scenes that stuck in my head is he has like this massive set of luggage that like floats and he can tie it all together. And he even had enough like luggage to do like a putting green or something. I remember like all this weird shit about what this luggage was... And then I remember they're at the volcano. He's falling in love with her. It's so weird. I'm going to have to watch this movie again. Probably should have watched it before this podcast. But that may have been the, you know, I'm just, I, I, I played it in the background as we were preparing for this podcast because I take this seriously. <laughs> yeah. Listener. Yep. Um, I'm here for you. Jed's here for himself, apparently. But that's apparently, okay. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. Jed is willing to rest this podcast on what he remembers as an eight year old. Yep. Watching Joe yep. versus the volcano. Hey, I so. pulled the luggage floating. That happened, right? I mean, I'm not wrong. <laughs> but no, Turner and Hooch is, sucks. There's floating luggage. <laughs> Let's do this episode. But it's just, it just stuck in my head. And I, I've got to watch it again because I think it's one of those that probably has a cult following. And probably I can appreciate it a lot more now. Maybe it was ahead of its time. I don't fucking know. It, it wasn't ahead of its time. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you I'm that. trying it's to help it out in any way I can. Because I don't remember it, it being is, very good. No, to me, it's it's goofy and really funny. And part of its humor is it's it. I think it's in on the joke that it's telling because the production value is not super high. Like it, it's it's even lower than like volunteer. Like it's it, okay, it's a so very low. yeah, it's a low production value film. But I think it's in my opinion, it's done that way on purpose, and it's just sort of this sticky film that really just showcases its two leads. I think its entire purpose is there to just showcase Tom and Meg. And it mm-hmm. did it fantastically. Um, and it set the table. And I don't necessarily know that after Joe versus the volcano, people were clamoring for Tom and Meg, but people certainly knew something was there. And then they both right after that take 
real divergent roles. Yeah. You know, they, they had been in these humorous, you know, Turner and Hooch, Big, Jovi the Volcano, you know, When Harry Met Sally. And then she's in The Doors. Then Tom goes and does Bonfire of the Vanities, which is a De Palma film with Bruce Willis and Melanie Griffith and the always fantastic Saul Rubinek. Um, <laughs> but... but in my opinion, that is Bonfire of the Vanities is weak, weak De Palma. Um, it's it is a mess. I, I think it's one of the more poorly edited films I've seen. Oh my god, from, I have no idea what's going on in that movie. From 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 a top tier director like De Palma has made some unbelievable films. Yeah, but it is choppy and the story is a mess. But even visually, it's it's really all over the place. And and I don't particularly think it's a great film. It's it's not. In contrast to what Meg Ryan followed up Joe versus the Volcano with, which was The Doors, directed by Oliver Stone, starring Val Kilmer, reunited with Val Kilmer from Top Gun. Um, this is her most high-profile drama to date, and she knocks it out of the park as Pamela Morrison, the yeah, wife she's of Jim Morrison, lead singer from The Doors. And everyone in this film is is so perfect. I don't want this to turn into a Doors review, but I just like she works so well with this cast, and her and Val Kilmer together are amazing because they're two great comedic actors that are not comedic at all in this film. They're yep. just they're just really, really good at playing off each other. And it shows that she can do drama when she's given the right director, the right script, just like anyone, because the, if the material's go, good enough and you're good enough, it's going to be good. But even if you're good enough but the material sucks, it's not going to necessarily turn out well. But, I mean, Frank Whaley's in this. You get an early Kevin Dillon sighting. Kyle MacLachlan is so fucking good in this movie everyone and they all work so well together and she's just i just remember her that was like one of the first times when i saw her when i was like man this she can really act because i've seen that movie so many times and she's just so perfect as that character because she plays aloofness without being goofy and when she needs to be serious she's completely serious it's it's great well and i think the doors is a great example one of i miss controlled oliver stone yeah, I, I really do. But I look at this as one of two turning points in Meg Ryan's career where I think she probably after this film had opportunities to go a couple of different ways. Yep. And I don't I don't think she chose the I, I don't think there was a wrong answer. But I always look at this movie and in the cut as sort of the two hinges on her career mm-hmm. that sent sent it in particular directions. Yep. But her her range and her vulnerability in the doors was not something that you had seen in her previous movies because she was, you know, even in, you know, when Harry met Sally and everything, those are very strong characters. And when you get to The Doors, it's it's such an understated performance and she's spectacular in it. And then for Tom Hanks, you know, like I said, Bonfire of the Vanity's not great, follows it up with A League of Their Own, which is Hot Take Corner, the best Tom Hanks performance I have ever seen. Wow. Okay. That's by far my favorite Tom now, Hanks. Best Tom Hanks performance or your favorite yes. Tom Hanks performance? Both. Okay. That that is the best because and hear me out because I don't oh, I don't I like hate. this little whatever you say is not gonna it's not gonna convince me. Yeah, I don't like this <laughs> eye roll shit that I'm looking at. But <laughs> playing drunk must be one of the hardest things to do because there's a lot of really good actors who can't do it for shit. That's true. I agree with you on that point. And playing a fall down drunk in a league of their own, he has not just iconic lines. He plays drunk not so over the top that it's stupid. He He's heartwarming in the film. He has an opportunity to do some really creepy things with his lines he doesn't do. And at the end of the, the movie, you are rooting for Jimmy Dugan so hard. Mm-hmm. 
And he does all of that without taking focus away from the mainstream of the movie. And being the star that he is, I think probably could have done that and didn't. But I think that there is an understatedness to this performance that other performances, Oscar-winning performances that he's done, I think were probably easier to do and were also just not quite as emotional for me as he really was in A League of Their Own. I think A League of Their Own is commonly a forgotten film, and it is a much better performance than anybody gives him credit for. To me, I mean, your opinion is your opinion. I think it's a fantastic (laughs) fucking movie. Uh, I think the entire cast is great, and everyone's worked so well together. Him and Gina Davis, those scenes together are are perfect. It's directed by Penny Marshall, who, I mean, R.I.P., can direct a film like like none other just so perfectly. Uh, I respectfully disagree in terms of, for me, it's not what I feel, view as his best performance. What, what is it for you? I'm assuming Castaway? It's, for me, it's it's honestly Philadelphia. Okay. Because, Philadelphia's uh, a great performance. Philadelphia's performance, the scene that clinches it for me is the scene with him and Denzel Washington together where they're going over the case and he's got his IV bag and the opera is playing and he's taking him through what the singer is singing about. And you are, I don't care if you love opera or you hate opera, you are with that character and you are, you cannot take your eyes away from that performance. And you're so emotionally involved and pulled in to everything he's doing. The direction in Philadelphia is obviously, is honestly amazing as well. And that services that he's so captivating in that role. And he's in that scene with Denzel Washington and you forget that Denzel Washington's even fucking there. And yeah. to me, his performance in that movie is just amazing. But I fucking love A League of Their Own. I love what he does in that film. I yeah. love what he does in Castaway. I love what he does in Forrest Gump. I just love him. I mean, I'll say it. No. I'll admit it. No. <laughs> no, and I agree. Like, Philadelphia is my second favorite performance, and I typically will give an amazing comedic performance a notch above a dramatic performance because I think comedy's harder. I, I think actors would agree with you on that. And I, Philadelphia is fantastic, and I think it great that performance greatly outshines him in Forrest Gump. Like I think him in Apollo thirteen is better than Forrest Gump. I think him in Castaway is better than Forrest Gump, and I like Forrest Gump just fine. I, I'm a Forrest Gump fan. I'm not I'm not on the bandwagon of Forrest Gump as a shitty movie. It's not a shitty movie. It, it's and that's a very difficult performance to pull off without laughing at every time he says something. Right. He's easily one of my favorite actors, but I, I think. When we step back and we look at these people who have monstrous filmographies, I think some of the performances uh, that may not have gotten as much recognition or any recognition sometimes are some of their best work. And, and that's when I when I really look at it. And I'm not trying to convince you, but no, it's just no. one of those. Like, uh, A League of Their Own, to me, is in that small bag of perfect movies. Uh, it's just, I love it. And there's people out there that fucking hate it, and I don't get it. Like, I, I, can, I can have a nice debate with anybody about most movies and I liked it. You hated it. That's cool. Let's talk about it. I don't understand the people who hate on a league of their own. I don't know how you can hate the film, but honestly the rewatchability of a league of their own over like a Philadelphia is so much. It's like, there's not even a, there's no debate there to be had because you can throw on a league of their own anytime you want. Philadelphia is a certain mindset. It's certain. I've seen Philadelphia three times in my life. I've watched a league of their own three times in one day. Like it's not, it's, it's just not the same thing. And I think as the listeners, you know, get to know you a little more, they realize that if it has something to do with baseball, it has a fondness in Cole's heart as well. You know, That's there's true. something there. Um, and especially social justice baseball, where women get to play. <laughs> um. I apologize. I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry, Jed. 
So, A League of Their Own was in 92, and then in 92, Meg Ryan made Prelude to a Kiss, which I saw once, didn't like it. It reminded me of The Butcher's Wife. I didn't think it was bad. I just was like, I this doesn't, I don't, this is not it's my a, kind of film. It was a whole bunch of nothing to me. Yeah, it was. That was whatever. back when Alec Baldwin was, I, I thought, being overrated. Well, that's a whole other discussion that we'll get into. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that, uh, that I think is important because it gets us both to Sleepless in Seattle. And one of the best parts yes. about Sleepless in Seattle is getting to that part where Nora Ephron is writing and directing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's such a good script, man. Like, that is such a good script. It's, it's a phenomenal fucking script. It really is. And it's, it's so much more than a rom-com to me because it's about fathers and sons. It's about loss. It's about realizing that I could go down this route in my life, but is that really what I want? Do I, can I take the road less traveled? Can I make things? Because she could end up with, with Bill Pullman. Her entire family loves him. He's a nice guy. She, He's a she nice loves guy. Him. That's the thing. He's a perfectly fine guy, and that's something that I really like about Nora Ephron's He's stories. He's not an asshole. He's not like, He's not oh, an asshole. obviously has to leave him. So many movies today, it's like everything looks perfect on the on the outside, and then they show, oh, well, he did this to her. And it's like, you're just giving us an excuse as to why she needs to be with the other person. This movie allows it to develop, and it shows you that, similar to what happens in You've Got Mail, which we're going to get to in a minute with the Greg Kinnear character, yep. well, I just, you're you're so you're so right about that because it's so perfect. Well, and I, and I think that... A lot of movies said, and, and I hate to say this, but I, I think a lot of people expect certain dramatic moments in their life because of certain movies that they've seen. Yeah. And what Nora Ephron's movies allow you to do is leave somebody, not because they did something wrong, but because maybe you're not happy or maybe they're not the one for you, or maybe it's okay to be alone. Maybe you don't have to have somebody hand in hand all the time. Yep. Whereas, like you said, a lot of the other movies are, well, he's got to be abusive or she's got to be a drug addict or whatever it is. You don't have to have that. It can just simply be, I, I, I know we're together and I know we're engaged, but I don't feel spark when I see you. I don't feel anything like, I couldn't imagine living that. Like, I, I'm so lucky to have a spark every time I wake up in the morning and see Jess. I can't imagine having that and thinking like, oh, there's this person who's very nice and <laughs> I'm sure that dinner will be fun tonight because I like food. Like, I just can't imagine living that kind of life. And I think Efron's scripts allow you to burst out of that and say, no, I, I can, if I'm going to be in love with somebody and I'm going to, I'm going to give my heart to somebody, there needs to be that spark. And it's okay to get away from somebody for that reason and that reason alone. And I to, love that. Yeah. To take a flyer on some guy in Seattle. You know, yeah, it, I mean, also that. The uh, the story there, I mean, he's looking for the same thing. I mean, he, he considers himself lucky. He had magic. He had the one. And that's the other thing I love about this film is this isn't these two people are meant for each other and they're the only two people that can be together like that. No, he had magic. He he had it. You know, he knew at the moment he, he you know, helped her out of the car. You know, I was just taking her hand to help her out of a car. And I knew. And it was like going home. Only... To no home I'd ever known. That's my best Tom Hanks. I'm sorry. That was, I, <laughs> man, you were so in the zone. I didn't even want to say anything. <laughs> but no, it's it's so perfectly described in there. And then his characters resign himself to the fact that I I can get back out there. You know, Rob Reiner's encru- encouraging him to date. And uh, hello, Diane. Take a look at these swatches. You know, so many good exchanges <laughs> between those two. <laughs> Got to do your Cary Grant. And it's uh, it's just so it's just so good because then he he's like, okay, I, I don't know if I'll find anyone else, but he finds her. And as you said earlier, 
they're not together for the whole fucking movie. You're seeing all this stuff develop in parallel. It's so genius. It is genius. And you get like there there's chemistry between the two of them without them talking. Mm-hmm. Because you as the viewer are putting them together. And I can tell you right now, it's not because of Joe versus the volcano. You know, there, there's a certain element of that in You've Got Mail where you're like, oh, man, these two crazy kids from Sleepless in Seattle, I know that yep. they'll work together. When you're watching Sleepless in Seattle, you're literally going, man, like everything she cares about and everything he cares about, all the way down to how she peels an apple. Yep. I was hoping you were going to bring that up. You want them to get together because you know at the at the core of the motherfucker it's going to work. You know, yep. like that's the thing. And it's you just are rooting. I remember seeing this in the theater and just sitting there as a young kid and going, I don't know really emotionally what they're talking about, but damn, they, they got to get together. Mm-hmm. They got to do it, right? Jonah, good on you, son. You found one. You got a good one. Yeah. Another great performance by Gabby Hoffman, too. Yeah. Well, she's great. That's why. She's, she's just H&G. You know where she learned those chops? Dyersville, Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. KC probably helped her out a little bit. When you can learn from the best, take notes. <laughs> exactly. Why, why not? Yeah, it's it's just a uh, it's one of the few perfect films uh, for me, and I can always watch it. And even if it goes like you know a few years, and you turn it on, it's like watching it for the first time again. And it's just so so perfect. Those two when they see each other, she's across the street, and everything kind of goes silent, and they just get you know they're in this trance looking at each other, and then reality comes in with obviously with the with the car passing by and, and honking yep. at her and breaking you out of that trance, but. The direction, as you said, the fact that Nora Ephron got to write her vision and then actually create her vision is, I think, why this film is so fucking phenomenal. Because it's one of her perfect, if not her, if not her best film. I think it's her best film, honestly, to, to me. It's it's the best one that she's ever made, and and I, I can't imagine anyone topping it in terms of uh, a movie like this. And all three of them working together so well, the supporting cast. Rosie O'Donnell's great in it. She's not annoying yep. at all. She's perfect. Well, Rob Reiner's great. You know, we just talked about uh, A League of Their Own and this, and Rosie O'Donnell's in both of those, and you really kind of forget how talented of an actress she oh, was. Oh, my God. She's really, really good. Yeah. With roles that, honestly, in other actors' hands would come off abrasive, annoying, what have you, she's not that at all. She's perfect no. in them. Yeah, she, and she was spectacular in this. So, I mean, that's where we are in 93, and, and it's just... It's a great time, and then honestly, in the same year, I'm just gonna go over through '98. What what Tom Hanks does? This fucking run is fucking unbelievable. So no, th- he's got, this is this is Mount Rushmore shit. Oh like, God, yes. You don't get a run like this. So '93, he's got Sleepless in Seattle. Then he's also got Philadelphia. Then he's got Forrest Gump in '94. Apollo 13 in '95. A little film called Toy Story in '95, which I think. And would you say well. would you say at this point he's starting to pick up steam? I think. I think to, yeah. I think people are taking notice. I yep. I think yep. I think all the all, all of a sudden uh, he needs a second line. <laughs> exactly. Follows it up in '96 with his directorial debut and for that thing you do, a film that Cole and I both fucking love. I can't. I can't wait to do that episode. Oh my that's God, a three. That's so a three-hour episode. That's it's going to be as long as it needs to be. And honestly, yep. it's like eight hours might not be enough, especially when we get into the sequel ideas. Oh God, yeah. Saving Private Ryan in '98, and then you've got Mail in '98. So I don't know about you, but that's what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight films that are just perfect. There's not a movie on that list that's less than a nine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's, it's, it's there's, absurd. there's. I'm looking at. 
I don't know. Let's see here. One. I got three tens. Yeah. On that list. Yeah. Four tens. I got four tens on that list. It's. Yep. I mean, that's that's crazy. Yeah. It's 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 absurd. And by the way, uh, Meg's not any slouch during this run either. Flesh and Bone is an okay movie, but when a man loves a moment, woman, really good. She plays an alcoholic in that film. Yeah. Um, and, and what's really interesting about that is that uh, Dennis Quaid was going through just getting sober at that point, and they were really kind of leaning on each other with stuff. And she was going to AA meetings while she was making that film. But on, on a second watch, that's a really good movie. That's mm-hmm. a really, really solid movie. IQ and French Kiss come in 94, 95, which are, again... She's so good oh, God. in these movies. And IQ is one of my favorites, man. Tim Robbins like, and her in that film, uh, the chemistry there is is perfect. It's really good. And the only thing it suffers from is you watch it and you go, God, they're so good together. Oh, I wonder what Tom Hanks would have been like in this. Exactly. I bet he would have been good in that. Because, I bet he would have been. Because honestly, Tim Robbins to me is a bit of a diet Tom Hanks situation. Uh huh. I, I can I can buy that. Yeah. I think a lot. Of, I think a lot of movie producers were like, "Hey, get Tom Hanks in this," and like, Hanks won't do it. Fuck it, get Robbins. Like, I feel like a lot of that conversation happened ninety three to two thousand. Mm-hmm. And then she does City of Angels with the always bankable romantic lead Nicolas Cage. Uh, that was like, uh, were the Goo Goo Dolls already a thing when that film came out? Well, or? It, if they weren't, they were after. Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> that song I still, was I still, fucking everywhere. <laughs> I still hear Iris in my nightmares. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I didn't listen to popular music, well, really ever, but uh, I couldn't avoid that fucking song. Jesus Christ. That shit's in my DNA. And that movie's fine too, actually. I mean, you get to see Dennis Franz's ass. It's great. <laughs> uh, For those that weren't watching NYPD Blue, evidently. So. Right, right. <laughs> I love how people are like, well, that's the inside joke. I'm like... There needs to be no inside joke with Dennis Franz's ass. That's not, it's not that funny of a joke. But, uh, so City of Angels comes out in 98, Saving Private Ryan comes out in 98, and somewhere in there they managed to film You've Got Mail, which I really kind of think for our generation is the romantic comedy that gets pointed to. It is the last time you could make a romantic comedy without technology being so present. Yeah. It's a moment in time before the internet became the internet where you could make this film and for it to work. It's just a phenomenal movie. Uh, one of my favorite things about the film is, obviously, she's running the shop around the corner. He's got the big Barnes & Noble-like place. And we all know now what was on the horizon that they had no fucking yep. idea about called Amazon, where yep. it doesn't matter if you put her out of business because your ass going to be out of business yeah. pretty soon. I wouldn't, be buy- I wouldn't be buying that block-by-block block building brick and mortar, my yeah. man. <laughs> No, I mean, and, and and the thing is, I've actually recently watched this film, um, and for those who don't know the, the plot, you know, basically they're pen pals on the internet. No, 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 no. For those of you who don't know the plot, you should know the plot. Okay, yeah, we're talking you, about You've Got Mail. You should you should know the plot. I, I take that back. All right. Um, like, come on. Jesus. So, it's 21 years. Bad <laughs> time. So here's the thing. Upon a rewatch, his character is really fucking manipulative of her in the, in the third act. Yes. He, he, yes. It's, it's, it's like, but I always knew that, but like to the extent of like, all right, so I have this persona over email and I also get to craft it by being her best friend in real life. So I can, every idea I have, I can bounce it off her and I can, I can see what her reaction is, what her real reaction is, not necessarily the, through email and all this, all this kind of stuff. And so at the end, when she's so happy, like oh, I was, I was hoping it was you. Now I'm watching, I'm going, 
I think part of you should be pissed. There's a scene after that. After they done, they're done kissing, and after Brinkley is done, you know, pulling on pulling on the coat, where she's like, you know, motherfucker. Now that I know you were both, I'm taking a minute here. Yeah, we yeah. got to talk about some shit. Yeah, the the romance. Why don't you get us a table somewhere expensive now? Because you own Barnes and Noble. Um, Because we've got to break down a couple of things. No, it's manipulation disguised as charm. Yep. And fuck it. I'm I'm all in on it. That's fine. Me too. I mean, it works. They're so great together. And I don't know if maybe because it's... I'm being naive here and going to say that it's not sexually manipulative. And it's one of the one of the trademarks I think of Joe Fox in that movie is he's a confident man with no confidence. Hmm. I think yeah. he's confident in his world. In business, yes. Not just in business. I mean, in, in high-end literature, like he's fine dating Parker Posey, who's a, a killer publisher, like up there where he has been his entire life because he's Joe Fox the ninth or whatever that I think he's confident at. I think anything outside of that uh, wealthy, but very small bubble, I think he's uncomfortable. I think he lacks confidence in that regard. Um, Even though there's moments in the movie, like when he's at Zabar's, I I think he was, I think he's uncomfortable in that moment. And I think that maybe I'm trying to buy him an out there and maybe we'll hear about this on Twitter, but it's, it's stupid schoolboy shit that he's pulling with her. And to you know, I can it's pulling, I can see it's pulling that. the hair a little bit. But to me, he's and and maybe I'm reading into it, or maybe I'm way off. As as you said, Twitter will fucking let us know for sure. But to me, he's someone who doesn't really know what love is. He's has all these examples with his grandfather and with his father of they get married to this certain kind of woman and they eventually get divorced and then they find another one and they get married to it and that's been the model. And I think. What he experiences with Kathleen Kelly over email and then in real life, that's what he's realizing. And when he has his scene at the end with his dad, Dabney Coleman, when he's like, well, what about, you know, finding someone you kind of love and that you kind of want to spend the rest of your life with and do all these things. And it's kind of like, well, that doesn't that doesn't scan. I don't know what you're talking about. Like that doesn't that doesn't exist. But he's like, right. I have found this, you know. And so it's it's following in the footsteps of every example you have. And Parker Posey was the perfect person for that. They would have gotten married. They would have been divorced inside of, you know, two years. And she would have taken some money and blah, 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 blah. But he finds something real with Kathleen Kelly, someone that accepts him and challenges him and and all that, all that great stuff. So as we're both saying, there's levels to this film. And that's the beauty of Nora Ephron's writing is that it's not just simple romantic comedy BS. There's so much depth to it. Right. And, and you know, another thing with this film that I think a lot of New Yorkers appreciate is this is what I would consider a much cleaner love letter to New York. Yeah. A love letter to the Upper West Side. And I think that that is something that has aged very, very well is a New York that I don't think a lot of people recognize anymore. And I love juxtaposing that with Can You Ever Forgive Me from last year, which was a love letter to a completely different New York existing at the exact same time mm-hmm. um, that a dirtier, grungier, meaner, harder, edgier New York. And both of them, I think, will probably age very, very well. But, you know, the, the stories are legion about Nora Ephron's absolute love affair with New York and how much of a staple she was on that scene. And she went, I think this is still the only movie that got the ability to film in Zabar's, which apparently means something. I've never been to Zabar's, but apparently that's a thing. I'll have to ask Rachel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She's going to know. I, I have no idea. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's such a great movie. And I probably every year, um, because I, much to Jesse's chagrin, I have to fall asleep with the TV on. 
um, mm-hmm. and she's so great about it. But then there will be, you know, every few months it'll be like, all right, cool. This is enough. Like turn this shit off. And then I start thinking like, oh, but what if we fall asleep to you've got mail? Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll fall asleep to you got mail. So, you know, I... Talk I, about manipulative. No, man. No, no, no. That's love. That's knowing <laughs> what my wife loves yeah. uh, and providing that. All right? Mm-hmm. All this, right. Look, this is about Tom and Meg. This isn't about me, okay? That's true. Good point. Good <laughs> Moving point. on, after 1998. <laughs> uh, but no, like, what's crazy about after this is this was a huge success. Although it did make less money at the box office than Sleepless in Seattle, which I found very interesting. I would have. That is interesting. I would have lost. Uh, I would have lost money on that bet. People were. I mean, Sleepless in Seattle was a massive fucking hit. Oh, it was. But there was also it like surprised everyone. Ninety eight was a crazy fucking year for movies, though, too. I yeah, mean, it was. How are you going to compete with Shakespeare in Love? Oh, don't. You don't really need to put a downer <laughs> on this episode, man. Hey, Shakespeare in Love's a good movie. Is it better than Saving Private Ryan? No, 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 no. No, it's not. No, no. I'll tell you what, it's better than fucking Green Book. We don't need to go back to all that. Yes, yes, the listeners know our feelings. (laughs) It's better than Green Book. But so what's weird about this, though, is that we're coming off of massive successes in Joe versus the Volcano, Sleepless in Seattle, and you've got mail, and then nothing. They'd never get back into a movie again. Now, in 2016, Meg Ryan directed a small film called Ithaca that yeah. Tom Hanks played her late husband and there's a flashback scene that they're in together but it's it's not a Tom and Meg movie they're they're yeah, very you can't, you can't do that they're not in it the 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 kid of Meg Ryan is more the vehicle that moves that movie forward and that movie's fine um for a directorial debut it's fine there's nothing spectacular about it there's nothing terrible about it i, I found it to be just a perfectly acceptable film but uh it's not like i wouldn't put this on the list of movies that are Tom and Meg movies so after 98, like, we really don't have another one. No, and Nora Ephron has made several. Like, I could imagine those two in yeah. Complicated. Or, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, something else that she's made together with, with those two. Like, I could totally imagine it. But he was busy. You know, Tom's been... Tom, I say Tom like we know each other, but Tom's been very busy with a lot of things, right? He's not only in all these movies, but he's also a very avid producer that started in 98. So I think a lot of his time has been... He will star in films, but they're specific films, and he has to. He's he's producing them, but he's also like he did from the Earth to the Moon. He did Band of, Band of Brothers. He's got the, my big fat Greek wedding stuff, or the 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 Greek wedding uh, universe, whatever you want to call it. He's got John, you know John the Adams Greek specific. wedding universe. <laughs> well, you got my big fat Greek wedding. You got my big fat Greek wedding two. I think was the name of it or something. Yeah, my bigger, fatter Greeker wedding. I don't sure, know what it was called. Right. I don't remember. I don't know. Was and Fatone then, was Fatone in that one? Did Joey Fatone get the call? I think he. I think he reprised the role. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm looking that up right now. I gotta. I and, gotta know. And, and you have my life in ruins. You know. So there's your Greek wedding universe right there. It's, you got three. It's just called <laughs> a trilogy, brother. Like it's, yeah. No, they're universes now, Cole. You don't seem to understand I'm, that. I'm it's sorry. all world building. It's I'm all sorry. world building. Jesus. I mean, he's done all those 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and the 2000s for CNN. Hey, um, uh, Fatone did get the call for my big Greg, fat Greek wedding, too. Yeah, yeah. I saw and that in the theater, so I was pretty Shut sure the fuck there. up, man. You saw that in the theater? Hey, when you start dating someone and you want them to like you, and they're like, I really want to see my big fat Greek wedding, too, you say, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I love it. So, <laughs> I love it. I was yeah. a huge big. I actually, to be honest with you, I thought my big fat Greek wedding was a good movie. Well, because um, it was, it's an amazing film. It's, yeah. it's hilarious. Had zero interest to see the second one. The second one is an absolute pile of shit. <laughs> 
not though because of Joey Fatone. I want to be clear. We are not. He doesn't help it. What we are but not I mean, dragging Joey Fatone on this podcast. No, we we would not do that. But it's it's an awful fucking movie. But anyway, let's get on to some better films because <laughs> after '98, Tom Hanks was in Castaway, which I don't really want to say too much about it because we're going to have a podcast episode on Castaway, Great film. which is. A phenomenal film, and to me, will always be underrated. I don't think enough people talk about it as to how good it is. I think the length of the film gets to people, but it's so fucking good. Zemeckis, obviously. It has aged extraordinarily well. Yes, it has. Catch Me If You Can. Uh, oh, I know a favorite of both God, of them. God, I mean, is so good. Yeah, he's he's great. Leo's great in that. Everyone's so good in that. So many future um, Hollywood actresses have be- went on to become very famous. They know shit. I mean, God, one after the other in every scene. Well, and every time I see that movie, which is probably once every couple of years, I miss the like fun caper movie that you just don't yeah. get a ton of. Yeah, it's that that film's great. He was in the Terminal, which I don't think was very well received, but you know, reteamed with Spielberg there. Charlie Wilson's War, I think both of us really love that film. It's a spectacularly good movie. <laughs> it's really good, and then shit starts to go downhill. Honestly, like Larry Crown was not that great. Cloud Atlas, I couldn't even make it through that movie. Uh, Captain Phillips was good. Bridge of Spies was good. Yep. Sully was was fine. It was serviceable. The Circle is. I don't know how Tom Hanks was in that movie. That movie was so unbelievably bad. Yes, it was. It that made was zero sense. The this that was one of those movies where every aspect of it was like the script was bad. The direction was all over the place. The score was shit. Like the acting was. Yeah. It was just bad. Everything about it was bad. No amount of editing was going to save that no. movie. It was just awful. No. The Post was very good. I, I enjoyed good. it um, for what it is. And now he's got Toy Story 4 coming out here in uh, like a month. Yeah. So, I mean, he's still there. He's still doing. The thing is, he can do whatever he wants. He's got all this cloud. He can produce things. He can star in pretty much any movie he, he wants to star in. And I really am sad that the same can't be said for Meg Ryan because, I mean, what happened after 98, Cole? Well, so like. You know, she does Hanging Up, which was a serviceable movie, but really not a whole bunch in, in 2000. And then Proof that of Life. That was like the sisters and yeah. the dad, like the inheritance kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then Proof of Life, which I think my feelings are very well stated on previous episodes of this podcast, which is a very, very <laughs> underrated movie. And I think, you know, in reading a couple of interviews with her, I, I don't think that the actual story of what's going on between like her and Russell Crowe off screen and Dennis Quaid and all those things has actually been told um, because she seems to be, uh, you know, a woman of pride and class. She didn't go into it in any interview that I saw, but yeah. um, but Proof of Life is a really, really good movie. Then she does another rom-com, Kate and Leopold, with uh, Hugh Jackman, which is just... <laughs> Please hold on, Cole. Please, and I, I, I promise you, I will not interrupt you at all. That's Can not you fucking please true. Tell but the sure. people the yeah. plot of that film. Well, Jed, it's. Oh, sorry. I was just pausing because I thought you were gonna fucking hop all over my shit again. So, One time, man. <laughs> Kate and Leopold. She's like an advertising executive whose boss is Brad Whitford, and her ex-boyfriend, I think it is, is Lee Schreiber, and he's obsessed with time travel. he's trying to find this wormhole that opens is it over the gwb or is it over the brooklyn one of the bridges in new york Uh the the wormhole opens and he goes through it once somehow (laughs) (laughs) and he brings back hugh jackman Uh who is like a duke or some shit 
that is also very progressively scientific and interested in inventions and things like that, and I think is trying to invent the elevator, if I remember correctly. That that sounds right to me, yep. And then somehow he gets back through the wormhole with Liev Schreiber, <laughs> with yeah. Liev Schreiber and Brecken Meyer's there because... Breckenmeyer was in a lot of movies, and somehow Leopold, in his 1800s gear, becomes a commercial star for some really <laughs> shitty butter that Meg Ryan's company is in charge of. Uh, is in charge of marketing, and they fall in love. And I I think, and it's been a minute since I've seen it, they end up going back in time. Mm-hmm through the same wormhole and she stays there with him Yep. in like 1782 or whatever. Not a great film at the no. end of the day. <laughs> the end of the I, day remember, not, I remember reading something film. about this film where, cause I honestly, I don't, I've seen it once. I don't fully remember the character interactions in terms of if Liev Schreiber is her ex-boyfriend. Yeah. Um, and she goes back in time at one point. I don't know if this is in the final cut or what happened. They had Leah Schreiber was related to this Duke. Like, so basically, she goes back in time and then <laughs> she marries him. And Leah Schreiber is like the great, 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 great grandson or whatever of that, those people. So she actually dated her great, great grandson. And I think they had to like do a last minute change on the plot because they're like, we have unnecessary incest in this film. That was totally unplanned. See, in 2019, unnecessary incest isn't a problem, courtesy no. of Game of Thrones. No. Like, we, but there we was all some good. weird hole. Weird, basically, but back then, you couldn't do this shit. From that, <laughs> when your movie's suffering from that, I mean, you got some issues. So, oh, God. Not a great yeah. film. Thank you for the uh, deep dive, though. I think I'm going to throw dive. that in. <laughs> Sounds uh, good to me. But so, then we, off of Kate and Leopold, uh, it, clearly she was looking for a change, and... Jane Campion's in the cut with Mark Ruffalo, and this is this is the other turning point I was talking about earlier, where she was trying to do something that was very much off of this Kate and Leopold, you've got male sleepers in Seattle, IQ French kiss, you know, character that she I mean, she was she was America's sweetheart. Like she yeah. was the golden girl and probably had as much clout as any actress in town, but I think was probably getting a little bit bored. Um, you know, she has said that she felt like an unfulfilled person, not because just because she didn't have experiences because mm-hmm. she got famous quickly. And, you know, at that point, everything starts getting taken care of you for for you. And she's like, I just hadn't I hadn't traveled the way I wanted to travel. I haven't experienced the things I wanted to experience. I couldn't bring things to roles that other actors that I really respected talked about bringing to roles because they had this breadth of experience that I didn't have. And she did in the cut, and people. There was a huge critical backlash. It was a complete flop at the box office, and people were getting on her basically about being in a movie that had a lot of sex, mm-hmm. nudity, um, and Jane Campion esque themes. You know, I, I've heard her talk about how maybe it wasn't marketed right, or maybe she should have got out ahead of it and said, "Hey, this is the type of movie I'm going to do." But at the end of the day, I also think it's something where when we find an actress and an actress in particular that this is where we want to see you. I think for actresses, it's much harder for people to say, we're willing to see you as something else. And that's a completely unfair fucking thing. But I think that's what she fell into was, I'm not willing to see you in this other type of role. I'm not willing to see, I don't want to see you in an R-rated movie. I don't want to see you in a movie that has anything to do with sex. I want to see you in You've Got Male 13. And she did in the cut and she did against the ropes. And they were both 
box office flops, critical uh, messes, really. And after that, she's really done a whole bunch of nothing. You know, In the Land of Women was kind of again a, a bunch of nothing. My mom. Adam Brody vehicle, man. It I mean, is an Adam. It, it literally was. is. Yeah. She was the best actress in that movie. Actor, sorry, in that film by far. And yeah. It's an Adam Brody. She's starring in an Adam Brody vehicle. I didn't understand it when I saw it. It didn't. It didn't fully work. I, I mean, I was I was disappointed. And then when I saw her show up in an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, now she's probably friends with Larry David, all that kind of stuff. But it even felt out of place there for me because I was like, oh, I'm seeing Meg Ryan. I haven't seen her in forever. And it was a one off in a fucking Curb Your Enthusiasm episode for about ten seconds. Yeah. And I just, I'm like, I want more of her in, in film. She needs to be in more things. Yeah. And I honestly, like, Sharon Stone has been has been having the kind of career renaissance that I really hope Meg Ryan can have. Because Sharon Stone at one point told her manager, I'm not taking these roles everyone thinks I should be in. I'm going to do these other things that I want to do. If people see them, great. If they don't, what the fuck ever. I'm going to make them. And hopefully with directing a film now... And trying some other different things, Meg Ryan can do that if that's what she wants to do. Like, if she truly wants to continue to act and do those things. It's sad that if Tom Hanks were to say he wanted to do that, or other other male actors who aren't nearly as talented as Meg Ryan, let's say, they would totally have the avenues to do that. But I think Meg Ryan's going to have to make indie films. She's going to have to finance things herself. But she should do it if that's what she wants to do, man. Because I'll I'll watch things that she's she's in. I'll watch the Meg Ryan film. Absolutely. Even I even watched The Women, which wasn't a good film, but I was like, first of all, it's got a ton of really good actresses in it, but it's not. It's just not a, a well thought out idea for a movie, to be honest with you. But I I did read an interview with her where she's talking about you know fully willing to get back into more comedic roles. She's she seems very happy with what's going on in her life now, and you know her son's getting older, her son's getting into the game. And I think that makes her want to potentially make more of these movies. And she has talked about how like comedies are something that draw her in. She likes being in a film where you're trying to find the funny thing. Like what's the funny thing about this scene or this, you know, this film or whatever. So I really hope, you know, the same. I I really want to see her more because her ilk and her skill set isn't one that I've really seen duplicated. I, I haven't seen any of the new actors on the scene be called like the new Meg Ryan. I think that the, the closest that I could, possibly put to it would be like emma stone mm-hmm. um who i think really has that meg ryan type quality but it's she went out there and she made something her own and she she cut a mold that's extraordinarily hard to duplicate and i'm i'm looking forward to seeing what she brings forward i, I look at her career and i see a lot of goldie hawn in it yeah i mean i could see rachel mcadams being another one who if she wanted to could kind of go that that route she's not as great in those kind of things but she could. Meg Ryan's one of a kind in, in many ways. Like, she is. You're she not going to find another one like her. The facial expressions that she can make. It's just it's just one of those rare, rare actors. And so I think we just have to celebrate the things we have from her. And whenever she makes anything, you know, go out and check it out. Because both of these two, Tom and Meg, are, are once-in-a-lifetime uh, kind of talents that come along. And I think we're just so... We're, luck, we're lucky that we have the films that they were in together and, and their catalog. Yeah, well, and what I, I a movie that I saw, and I've seen it a few times, and I've all, I, I will watch this every couple of years, which is Crazy Stupid Love, because yeah. I feel like that movie should be better than it is. And every time I get done watching, I'm like, why do you do this to yourself? Because it's a half hour too long. It's, mm-hmm. it's entirely too long, and it's a really good movie for about 70% of it. And every time I watch it, I think... 
I love Julianne Moore and I love Steve Carell and this movie would have been a million times better with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan in those two uh, characters. Yeah, I think I that, that would have been an unbelievably cool movie with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. And that's that's the type of movie I see them exploding Hollywood's fucking brain coming out with. Is, they is will one make of another film together. Movies. They have to. They, they absolutely will. I totally agree yeah. with you. And, you know, one, one thing that I think is very interesting, and you brought this up, you know, in your research, while you decided not to watch, you know, any of the movies we were going to talk about, but you did <laughs> you did go to the internet and find some facts. You were talking about how, like, they really could have made five or six movies together, just given movies that they were either attached to or were the number one, you know, choice of the director to be in, and they decided to pass on, which I thought was interesting. There is a universe out there where they are the two stars of Ghost. Which, I mean, you know how much I love Sways. Yep. I'm going to say it would have been better with Swayze and Meg Ryan than it was with Swayze and Demi Moore. I'm not sure how great that would have been, Tom Hanks. I would love to see the pottery scene with Tom Hanks. <laughs> I'm going to say it. I, w- I would love to see his interpretation of that. <laughs> and the other one is, you know, as we said earlier, Tom Hanks turned down the role of Harry and When Harry Met Sally. So we yeah. that could have been their first one. We could have had that. I mean... She's had a lot of, it's always funny because this is obviously just internet research, so take it with, you know, a lot of grains of salt. But Basic Instinct, she was up for, potentially. Double Jeopardy, she turned down. Glitter, I read, was originally intended for her. I have no idea. That makes no sense, but okay. That was a good pass. <laughs> yeah, definitely a good one. She was the first choice for Pretty Woman, so she would have been very Roberts good in that. should be thanking her every yeah. day. Mia uh, Wallace in Pulp Fiction. That oh, could have wow. been interesting. That would have been very interesting. Right? I can't picture anyone other than Uma Thurman in that role because it's so iconic for her. I agree. Wow. I, I, I'm interested in, because I'm not somebody who hated In the Cut. I didn't think she I, was I very bad in, in The Cut. I remember thinking it was fine, but nothing more. I thought Ruffalo was a little off, but I, I do think Ruffalo is either really good or really bad. He very rarely hits that middle um, for me. And I'm a they huge... They <laughs> And he was nominated for an Oscar for that, man. Come on now. <laughs> He didn't actually uncover the fucking scandal, okay? The, the reporter did. Mark Ruffalo didn't need an Oscar nomination for that. But I, I love Mark Ruffalo. And, you know, since we're talking about rom-coms a lot, 13 Going on 30 is one of my favorites. But oh, yeah. uh, I, I do think uh, he was probably worse in that movie. I, I thought In the Cut was fine. Like, it wasn't one of Jane Campion's best, but it wasn't, you know, the turd that everybody else thought it was. I do like a dark Meg Ryan, though, and I think a dark Meg Ryan in Pulp Fiction could have been cool. Could have been cool. I mean, she would have been dark in Thelma and Louise because she was set up for the role that Susan Sarandon had, which yeah. I can't imagine anyone other than Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis in that film. No. But I, I don't know. And Clarice Starling, you know, Jodie Foster also has several roles to thank uh, Meg Ryan for. Yeah, yeah, and and it's interesting because she's up for these roles that you know other people got and absolutely turned into iconic roles. So it's really hard to see them in anything else. Whereas, you know, you you look at something like Tom Hanks turned down Chaplin, and Robert Downey Jr. is incredible in Chaplin. Yeah, that movie is an underrated movie, but I think Tom Hanks could have been pretty great in that. His physical comedy, he yeah. can do that. Now, what I could, want to ask you about? Nope, he turned nope. down. He turned down nope. the role of Ray Kinsella. In could Field not of have Dreams. been Ray. Could not have fucking been Ray Kinsella. You don't think he could have pulled it off? Zero chance he could have been Ray Kinsella. Now is this because you don't like the way Tom Hanks looks in jeans, or what is this about? <laughs> it's because there's zero fucking chance Tom Hanks could have been Ray Kinsella. Okay, um, I would love. I would like to see it. Now, granted, Casey knocks that one out of the knocks that one into the cornfield. 
Uh, and I really can't imagine someone else in that in that role. But these, this is the thing about Tom Hanks is I, I do want to see, like, what would his interpretation be? What would he have been like in Groundhog Day? Yeah. Bill Murray's phenomenal in that, but I want to know what Tom Hanks would have been like in that. I think— I mean, I th- turn down I, the role of Andy and Shawshank. I mean— Well, that's the— that's the go, with the Tim Robbins. Tom Hanks to Tim Robbins. But, yeah. you know, I would—the one that I think is really, really interesting in this is what he would have been as is Bill the Butcher in Gangs of New York. Yeah. That's a Tom Hanks role I would have been really interested in. Because Daniel Day-Lewis was incredible in that, but— not so incredible, and and when you're when you're judging DDL on a on a, I mean that's a high bar. Yeah. But yep. I, it's not somebody I couldn't see someone else in that role. And Tom Hanks, I'm always interested in him trying to really step outside that comfort zone, and and that would have been interesting. Yeah, maybe one day he will do a Scorsese film, um, like a hard a hard one. I I did like uh, a not one a lot of people talk about, but Road to Perdition. I really liked Road to Perdition. Yeah. He was good. He was very good. He in was that really film. good in that. And Paul that was, a, yeah, that was you know Sam Mendes. That was in his what three year run there with American Beauty yeah. and and uh, Road to Perdition. Really good stuff. Yeah, very very good. I mean, uh, these two actors were just. I'm happy with the body of work that they've given us. And yeah. as we said, like we're gonna watch whatever they whatever they do. And hopefully Meg Ryan starts making some some other things and gets some other good uh, talent behind it so that. You know, more people can see it because she's yeah. so very good. Totally agree, man. So, uh, recommendations off this episode. Yeah, I'm going to go with, uh, well, I'll do a Tom Hanks film and a Meg Ryan film. How about I think that's uh, fair. Yeah. So, for Tom Hanks, I will do The Terminal, which is a film uh, I don't think a lot of people liked or really saw through it. Away. I'm one of them. Yep. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I really, and I've watched it numerous times. It's always on HBO, it seems like. It's really enjoyable. He's fucking phenomenally perfect in that in that role not an easy role to pull off to be taken seriously um that's really all i can say about it. it's just good it's just a good movie and for meg ryan um fucking french kiss man her and kevin yeah. klein together yeah. in that film kevin klein is another actor that we'll definitely have to do a deep dive on because that guy's career and his body of work is is phenomenal but she's great in that film the whole story is so heartwarming and kevin klein is is amazing. You got John Reno coming in as the only like heavy role in that film, which makes it's always a little off-putting whenever he comes on screen. There, John Reno is one of the scariest pastors on earth. Yeah, it, he really, he really is, and, and this film is is no different for that. But French Kiss is just a great film that everyone should watch. It's a great romantic comedy, very enjoyable. What about you? What what recommendations do you have? The the first recommendation for Meg Ryan is going to be IQ. I think IQ is so good. <laughs> yeah. What one yeah. of Walter Matthau's last movies. Yeah, uh, the the movie is so good, and it's farcical, and it's again Tim Robbins and Meg Ryan falling in love. He's a mechanic with a really good brain, and she's an intellect, and and Albert Einstein is trying to put them together, and it's just such a good and fun and light movie. Yeah, it's it's really it's like it's like whipped cream on top of pie, man. It's just you you just eat it up, and it's great. It's delicious. It's fantastic. Um, and then. Go see A League of Their Own, people. If you have not watched A League of Their Own, even if you have watched it and you haven't seen it in a while, watch it. And not just for Tom Hanks, even though he's incredible. But Gina Davis is unbelievable. Laurie Petty is unbelievable. David Strathairn. The little bit that John Lovitz is in it steals the movie. We only make 30 at the dairy. (laughs) Well, then this would be more then, would it? This would be more, wouldn't it? (laughs) Oh, don't worry about me. I'm just off to home. Give the wife a little pickle tickle and I'll be on my way. (laughs) 
She's so Madonna's great in that film too. She's great. Yeah, it, Rosie yeah. O'Donnell, fantastic. It's just such a well-made film, and that to me is probably Penny Marshall's best film she ever made. So uh, those are the two that I would recommend, man. So. Everybody, that's our opus on Tom and Meg. Thanks for joining us again. And uh, you can always hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at SigBurnsPod. You can email us at CigaretteBurnsPodcast at Yahoo.com. Please let us know. Subscribe, rate, and review. We hear that that really helps. So if you like what you heard, great. Um, Also, let us know what you don't like because we're having fun uh, kind of interacting with you guys and getting to know our audience. You guys are fantastic. A lot of really good questions and conversations we've been having. So, uh, Jed, anything else? Oh, I just want to let the listeners know that uh, Cole's going to be going on vacation uh, pretty soon here. So I'll be doing a solo episode on Teen Wolf. So everyone be sure and tune into that one because there's going to be a lot of passion there. <laughs> and we won't have Cole to rein in any of my craziness. So you're going to want to tune in. Like I would have had a word in edgewise in that episode anyway. <laughs> but uh, thanks everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed this one. And uh, later, Burners. Yep. See you guys. Burners and